this uh, this last summer, our, while our our family was my family was away for for two weeks, I was left home alone for the first time in a really long time with a television set that was not being used primarily for video games and kids shows, which is great. And at the same time, I was listening to a podcast interview with the British actor Simon Pegg, who's been in all kinds of movies, but I had never seen some of his British cult classics like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, or The World's End. Have you seen these? Okay, so I should say that these movies do include violence, suggestive dialogue, language, drinking, and in general, reckless behavior. So our lawyers wanted me to read this before I continued. Mentioning these movies in the sermon, therefore, does not imply an endorsement or recommendation of these movies from the church, its staff, or leadership. All right? But I did watch all three of them and wanted to talk briefly about The World's End. In this movie, five grown-up friends return to their hometown to complete a historic pub crawl, which is having a pint of beer at ten different pubs all in one night, which is why they call it a crawl. Each stop, the signs and names the British, of these British pubs give a clue as to what will happen when they go into the pub, okay? So the first pub is called the first post because it's the first pub, right? But the second pub is called the old familiar because when they go inside, it looks exactly the same as the first pub. So it's familiar. In the fourth pub, they discover that all the people in town have been replaced by alien robots. And then at the two-headed dog, they have to fight two aliens who look like twin sisters that they knew from high school. At the King's Head, the character Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, bangs his head against a wall to prove that he's not an alien. And then at the hole in the wall, they escape when another character crashes his car into the pub, creating a hole in the wall. Okay, great. So what I'm trying to point out is that each sign and name isn't just a pub sign and name. Instead, the signs are connected to what actually happens in real life. I mean, real life in a fake movie. <laughs> are you with me? Okay. So, 1,600 years ago, roughly, St. Augustine talked about certain religious rituals and practices like communion or baptism or a lot of the things that we do in church as signs. And like any good sign, they don't exist just for themselves, but are intended to point towards something else that is real and can be experienced in real life. So the sign of communion, the bread and the wine or the juice that we have, is supposed to be an experience of Jesus' love of God's inclusive welcome around a table, and an experience of belonging to a community as we share this meal together. We're supposed to actually experience something. So what matters isn't so much the sign itself, but what happens in the pub. What matters isn't the bread and the wine or the religious ritual itself, but what happens in and through a community that gathers around those practices, around those signs, all right? So, we might ask, does our faith help us 
to feel valued and loved? Does our faith help us feel connected to God and to other people? Are we participating in meaningful things that make a real difference in real lives in this real world because of our faith? Or are we just gathering at the sign to talk about the sign and keep people from getting too close to the sign because the sign is the thing. Like, that's, that's the thing. Are we forgetting that the whole point of the sign is to point us towards the pub where we meet with friends and have a beer or fish and chips or play darts together, whatever it is that we do inside in real life? Thankfully, we're reminded in today's stories, both in Mark and in 1 Samuel, that the symbols and signs of our faith are supposed to be practical. They're not just supposed to be theoretical or theological. So, 1 Samuel 21 includes the story that Jesus refers to in the Gospel of Mark that Darnell has already read for us today. And remember that here in 1 Samuel, David is running away from King Saul, who has been trying to kill him. So 1 Samuel 21, uh, starting in verse 1. David went to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? This is like a, a classic Hebrew way of telling stories that uses like the same phrase or thing told in different ways to create emphasis. Uh, think of this more like uh, an exclamation point. Why are you alone? And also, why are you alone? Why are you alone? And also, why is no one with you? So David answers, well, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. So he's not telling the truth because the mission is Saul trying to kill David. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. So here we go. This is religious bread. This is sacred, holy bread. And you're not supposed to eat it. Actually, only the priest, as Jesus said, are allowed to eat it. But skipping down to verse 6, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of presence. Okay, so the bread is the sign. The bread is the sign of God's presence. But even here, David's practical need for food is more important than this religious sign or symbol by itself. And truth be told, how is David supposed to experience God's caring presence if he is starving? How are David's men supposed to experience God's presence if they are hungry? Practically, they experience God as close, not by religious ritual alone, but by eating real bread and real food. Then David asks for something else in verse 8. David asked Elimelech, Do you have a spear or a sword here? And the priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the giant, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. 
And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. I'll take it. Okay, so, so remember, these symbols and signs aren't just symbols and signs, but they're connected to what really happens in real life. The bread of presence tells us that God is with David. And this is essential to David's rise as king. But taking Goliath's sword is perhaps one of the first indications that David's downfall will come from him becoming too big, too powerful for his own good, of David becoming more like the giant that he defeated. But, but that's, that's much, much later in, in David's story. <clears throat> Jesus recalls this story. Jesus recalls this story about David in a hilarious way when he says to the religious leaders, have you not read Sick Burn Jesus? Because these are like religious leaders. This is what they do. They read the Bible. They study the Bible. They teach the Bible. They are the ones who know the Bible better than everyone else. And you ask them, have you not read? That's hilarious. To me, at least, that's hilarious. Of course they've read it. That's what they do. That's who they are. But, but sometimes those of us who are most religious forget that faith exists for the benefit of people, not people existing for the benefit of faith or of religion or of religious professionals. Sabbath rest, like the bread of presence, isn't just an idea that needs to be protected, but it's a sign. It's a sign pointing us toward a God who feeds the hungry. It's a sign pointing us to a, toward a God who gives freedom and rest to those who have been enslaved. A God who cares about real people, real lives in this real world. So, when we think about our faith, when we think about the Bible or the stories that we tell from the Bible, when we think about church, when we think about the meaningful rituals that we practice, it's not enough to figure out, well, what is the right answer? Or what is the right way of doing these things? Or who's allowed to participate in do doing these things and who's not? The most important question is a practical one. What is the impact of the stories we tell? What is the impact of the way that we do things together? What is the impact on our lives and on the lives of other people? You might have noticed if you had opened your Bible while I was reading that I skipped over a, a few verses and you, you noticed. Uh, and, and one verse in particular, verse, verse 4, I skipped where, where the priest has one stipulation for giving the bread to David. He says, you can have the bread as long as your men have kept themselves from women. Okay? Why did I skip that? Well, <laughs> because I asked the question, what is the impact of reading a line like this if I don't have time or if we don't have the time for a larger conversation about what this actually means or could mean or how we understand it? Right? If I just read the line and left it there. Because the real-life impact of a line like this in religious communities 
taken out of context, without any deeper sense of reflection, without thinking about the practical implications of the things that we say and do, causes real-life harm because women are devalued and portrayed as the problem. The Bible itself is supposed to be a sign. The Bible itself is supposed to be a sign pointing us toward God, pointing us toward Jesus and His way of love. But when the Bible becomes the thing, we read every single word, protecting every single word, believing every single word, no matter how much that word, spoken without thought or care for real people, can cause harm and guide us away from Jesus and his way of love. The Bible, as a sign, can point us toward healing, toward recovery, toward community, toward so many good things in life, but the Bible, as a sign taken unreflectively, can lead us in the opposite direction as well. The Bible is for people, not people for the Bible. Church is for people, not people for church. Faith for people, not people for faith and religion. Prayer is for us, not us for prayer. So with that in mind, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we pray that the meaningful signs and practices of our faith would point us toward you, toward one another, and toward your way of love in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.